You're listening to audio from Mosaic Boston Church. If you'd like to check out more resources, learn about Mosaic Boston and our neighborhood churches, or donate to this ministry, please visit mosaicboston.com. My name is Ivy uh, Rhodes. I'm the pastor here, one of the pastors here at Mosaic Boston Jamaica Plain. And, um, and today we're in the middle of a series called Reclaim, middle of a series called Reclaim, where we talk about reclaiming what God meant in the beginning. So in the very beginning, God created the world and he created it good. So the first two chapters of Genesis are all about God creating a good creation. By chapter three, page three, we've already messed it all up. And then the rest of the Bible is the story of God reclaiming that good creation. Now, God does this thing where he gives a spoiler. If you go read the end of the book, it tells us what happens. And in the last book in the last page of the Bible, it tells us what's going to happen and what Jesus is up to this whole time from creation to now. This is what it says, Revelation 21.5. This has sort of been our theme verse for this. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. So that there's this, that God has this good creation, it goes bad, he reclaims it, and he makes it good again at the end of time. And this is what we're moving toward. So, uh, anybody see Infinity War? Anybody in here see Infinity War? You know what I'm talking about, the new Avengers movie? All right, know your audience, Ivy. Okay, (laughs) we'll move on. So you can't spoil it for me. That's what I was going to say. Bill saw it yesterday. I I know that. You can't spoil it for me, but that's good. So God spoils the end of the, uh, what happens in the end, but don't spoil what happens at the end of Infinity War for me. All right. Now, we've been talking about work for uh, three weeks, and it's like, oh, you know, you always remind me of work. Well, I got a comment from somebody. They said, you know, uh, you guys keep making me think about work all the time because we keep talking about it in community group and in church and all this stuff. Well, today we're shifting gears. We're shifting gears to relaxation. We're going to look at rest and leisure time, and we're going to look at what you do after you clock out uh, and, and what that looks like and how to reclaim that for the gospel. And maybe you're thinking today, Maybe, you've, you know, I've helped you with work and like understanding how God is a part of what we do in work. But, you know, don't touch my off time. <laughs> don't touch my, my relaxation time because that's my time. And I don't want uh, Jesus ruining that. I need that for myself. Well, so I don't know if that's you or not today. But what I can say is that it, w- without a doubt that Jesus never ruins anything. So we're going to look at what it means to have Jesus in and working through our time off. So you ever been on Netflix and you don't know what to watch and so you just kind of flip through for a minute and then you get like this urge to watch a documentary um, and you go to the documentary section because you can't find anything else, anybody? Yeah, okay, a couple people you find and then you watch some really obscure documentary um, that, that you wouldn't have watched otherwise but because it's, for, you're paying for Netflix and you know, it's there you watch it. So. You go and you click, I, I was going through and I found this bee documentary on honeybees. And I love honeybees because one, I love honey. Um, honey is a good thing. And then God loves honey too. And uh, we, we, you know, in the Bible it talks about milk and honey and all this stuff. And so anyway, so I'm watching this and um, I'm looking at how the bees were. There's one really interesting thing that came out. Just real quick, this, is, this has nothing to do with the sermon. I'm just going to let you know this. Anybody seen the abomination of animation called the bee movie? Anybody? If you have children, you've probably seen it. It's like the worst. So 
Is, and in the movie, what happens is the bees go on strike, and they won't pollinate, and then everything dies. So I'm going to tell you something right now. Okay, you ready for this? If the bees were to go on strike and not pollinate, everything wouldn't die because there are something like 44,000 other pollinators besides the honeybee. And the honeybee is actually, was actually brought in from Europe here and is not native to America. Did you know that? There you go. So if they were all to die tomorrow, we would still have everything pollinated, but we'd probably have to import our honey. But anyway, that has nothing to do with the sermon. That was free. This one you have to pay for. Just kidding. Um, this next section, though, what I found out is that in, in the beehive, and you may know this, um, but in the beehive, the female bees are the ones that do all the work. From the time that they become an adult bee to the time they die, and even the queen, the female bees do all the work in the hive. They, uh, they make the honeycomb, and they take care of the larvae, and they, they uh, go out and search for nectar. And throughout the course of the female bee's life, they will do every single job in that hive except for be the queen, because there's only one queen. And the last thing they do is they go out and search for nectar, and they go about two miles outside of the honey of, of, of the, uh, the hive to search for nectar, to make honey for sustenance for, uh, for themselves. And it's the last thing they do because it's the most dangerous. They will be killed by something, or they will die as they do it. They will literally, from the day that they are born to the day that they die, work nonstop as worker bees. Ever heard busy as a bee? That's where it comes from, female bees. Now, male bees, on the other hand, <laughs> called drones, do nothing. They walk around the hive and do absolutely nothing, just crawling through and, and not doing anything except one thing, knocking up the queen. That is their one job, is to knock up the queen. All right, so <laughs> then, okay, this gets worse, and you are at church, but you've heard this stuff in science class. I'm not going to tell you anything you haven't heard. It gets worse. When they do the deed with the queen, their genitals rip off on the way out, and they die. The documentary I watched called them Men of Pleasure. That's what it called them. That the men die of pleasure, and the women die of working to death. So when we think about that, there's two extremes in their roles, and both sides of those extremes end up killing them. So, finding a middle way, finding a middle path for ourselves, because we can kind of land in that area, too, of working ourselves to death or having too much fun, and it kills us, too, I guess. Boston works hard. If you got the email this week, you saw that I, the, out of 116 of the largest cities in the United States, Boston ranks number seven as the hardest working city in the U.S. And one of the reasons that we don't rank higher is because we don't have the population of some of the other cities, you know. Um, in, in terms of big cities in the U.S., Boston is small but mighty. Um, and, and so um, we rank number seven in the United States because we know, and you know, that the first is like coming up real quick. What, what's the date of today? Yeah, the 29th, like Tuesday or Wednesday? I have no idea how many days are in May, April, whatever month it is. Um, you know that the first is coming up quick, and you are going to have to pay rent, so you better put some hours in, right? You know what I'm talking about? You, get, you have that pressure on you toward the end of the month, and so you have to work hard, because it's expensive to live here. Everything's more expensive, uh, and it's expensive 
to um, be in this city. So today, in a world of go, 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 busy, 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 do, 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 work, 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 we're going to look at how to have a biblical vision, a biblical understanding for rest in your life. Rest and relaxation in this world of go as you work hard. So read with me. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 127. Psalm chapter 127, just two verses. We're going to grab a few points out of here and then kind of hone in on one section. This is what it says. Starting in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he, he is the Lord, gives sleep to the one he loves. Let's pray. Father, today in your word, may you illuminate it to us that we could understand, and not just understand, but obey God. And that as we look into what you have for us, I pray that it would change us from the inside out. And that ultimately we would, we would trust in you and, and who you are. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want to bring out here, and, and we won't spend too long on these first two points because we kind of spent three weeks on work. So if you want to go back and listen to work, you can go listen to three other sermons on work and how, how that happens in the scriptures. But the first thing I want to bring out is working without God is pointless. As it says, unless the Lord builds a house, the builders labor over it in vain. Work that doesn't have the eternal foundation of Christ is ultimately going to be pointless. Because if you don't believe that there is forever, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, then what happens is the sun burns out and the universe goes into heat death and there is nothing else and the work you did means nothing because everyone's dead and nothing's alive. And you may be able to help people while you're here, but in the long scheme of things, it matters nothing. Work becomes about us, it becomes pointless, self-centered, and ultimately unfulfilling. So working without God is pointless. Number two, though, working yourself to death is simplest, uh, senseless. Excuse me, senseless. You are a limited resource. Have you ever heard the term burning the wick on both ends or burning the candle on both ends and, it, and, and you burn it down and all the wax goes away? Well, that's and it, and it happens twice as fast and burns out twice as fast because you're burning on both ends. And so if you work with all your heart and work with everything you have and give everything you have while you're here on this earth and you do it all in your power, you're gonna run out. Because you are a limited resource. You can't just keep going and going and going. You have limited power, limited energy, and limited resources, and you will burn out and it will be senseless. Without working in God's infinite, infinite power, you're just work yourself to death, and I believe ultimately get less meaningful things done. But this is the part where we, where we are going to stop and just hold in today. Point three, trusting God gives stillness. Trusting God gives stillness. It comes right at the end of verse two. It says, yes, he, the Lord, gives sleep to the one he loves. It's doing all this stuff in vain, doing it all for ourselves, doing it for me, but he, when I trust in him, gives rest and gives sleep to the one 
he loves. Trusting gives us, um, when we trust something, it, it gives us a sense of security. <laughs> and I can prove this to you. If you've ever gone into a bathroom where the door doesn't quite close or the lock doesn't quite work, you cannot rest in that restroom, right? You are nervous the entire time you're in there that somebody may bust in at any, mo any moment, particularly if it's like a busy area and you're thinking, oh boy, this is gonna be bad. So what? you put your foot on the door and you just do the best you can and hope that you can keep that door closed and nobody busts in on you. You're not getting any relaxation while you were in that restroom at that point. <laughs> so, With that in mind, when you go to bed at night, and this happens to me, guys. I, I'm not telling you anything that I don't deal with. I dealt with it last night, confession. Every Saturday night, I deal with this. And last week was really bad. I just get nervous and I get tense. And I, I wonder, you know, uh, how's church gonna go? Is the sermon gonna connect? Are people even gonna show up? Am I gonna be able to get the trailer out? Probably not. You know, like all these things happen in my mind and go through my head. I get worried, you know, am I gonna print the bulletin upside down and backwards and whatever, all the things that go on. I'm just like worried and worried and stressed and I close my eyes, can't go to sleep. And I, you know, I watch some show on Netflix and it doesn't put me to sleep. I'm just worried. And I get up and I grab some water and all this stuff and just pacing back and forth. And you just worry and you can't lay your head down. It's because at my foundation, I'm not trusting that God's gonna work. I'm not trusting that God has it in control. I'm, I'm worried that something is gonna go wrong. I'm worried that it's not going to work out. So with this idea of not sleeping and not resting because I'm too worried. I'm believing, in a sense, that God is asleep. I'm thinking that someone in this universe has to stay up to make sure things go right, and it might as well be me. How ridiculous is that, right? These are things that I can't control, worried about the weather or worried about what's going to happen, you know, in another country, some other place. You know, I can, I can pray and I can ask God to work, but there's so many things that I worry about and you worry about and we worry about that we can't do anything about. But God has it in control. And when we trust in him and when we place our faith in him, we can lay our head down and go to sleep. I'm sitting here last night. I'm like thinking to myself, I got to go to sleep because I got to go to church tomorrow. And I'm preaching on getting rest <laughs> and trusting in God. Why can't I go to sleep? And the Lord's just sitting there. I'm teaching you something. I'm teaching you something. See, God never sleeps. God never sleeps. He's there. Matthew um, 6 talks about this. Jesus starts talking about the kingdom of God. And this is what he says. But seek first the kingdom of God. If you do your do everything you have while you're awake, while the day is going on, for the glory and the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be provided for you. Therefore, so we have our foundation, the kingdom of God. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You do today Live today to the glory of God as well as you can. And then when tomorrow comes, you live tomorrow to the glory of God as best as you can. But rest. Rest. I thought God designed us to work. Three weeks on it. I should have done six weeks on it and one week on rest, but, you know, we'll just keep it through. I won't do any more. Um, and this is why. God also designed you 
to rest, not just work. On the seventh day, Genesis 2, 2 through 3, on the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Was God tired? No, God wasn't tired. He didn't need a nap. And in fact, he wasn't stopping working. He was just ceasing from the act of creation, but he was setting up a rhythm. He was starting something in the first chapter and first two chapters of Genesis. He was starting something in, as, as, as a way and as an example for how we were supposed to live. He set up and designed us to have a rhythm of rest. Then he doubles down on it in Exodus chapter 20. Ten commandments now, ten commandments. It says this. Remember the Sabbath day. That's the rest day. That's the seventh day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. In other words, work your tail off for six days. But on the seventh day, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son, or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. In other words, you got to rest on that seventh day. You realize that God put the idea of rest in the same set of laws that he talks about not murdering, don't covet, don't steal, all these things. He put rest in there. That seems sort of strange to me that he was so adamant about us resting and taking a Sabbath. But he knew how important it was to our ability to live, work, and be a person that lives to his glory. That if we were going to follow the other things in the Ten Commandments, we, one of the things we were going to have to do was we were going to have to rest. And it became very serious. It became very serious. If we, if we look through how the Jewish people took this law. They, they really took what God said and they ended up actually perverting it. And we see Jesus kind of correct it back in the New Testament, back to where it was. But there's this, this idea that there's some things, in, you know, in the Jewish law, we go, ah, we don't need to follow that anymore. And that's true. When we come to Christ in the New Testament, God created a new covenant and there's, we don't follow the laws in the same way anymore. And one of the reasons for that is um, if you don't look at the laws, you'll find a law in there that says don't boil a baby goat, a kid goat, in its mother's milk. And you read that and you're like, what? Why would you say that, God? That makes no sense. And really what God was saying is he's saying, in essence, he was saying, don't become like the other pagan people around you and worship other gods. That was the point of what he was saying because that was one of the, um, that was one of the uh, uh, traditions they had in the cultures around them. And so we today, we don't have any desire to boil goats. We have, <laughs> so we're like, that's so weird. That's so strange. And it is, there's no doubt. But the, but the principle of the thing still is the same. Don't become like the pagan culture around you and only worship the Lord. So while we may not, you know, worry about goats and all that stuff anymore, we still follow the principle. And the principle of the Sabbath still holds today. While we may not have a Sabbath on Saturday, the Sabbath, we need a Sabbath day, a, a Sabbath rest in our lives. For me, that day is Monday. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it is Saturday. Maybe Saturday is truly your Sabbath. Maybe it's Sunday. Maybe it's Monday. I don't know what your schedule is. Maybe it's during the week. I have no idea what it is. But whatever day it is, you need to find a day where you can be at rest because it's in the law. God commands it, which is 
crazy that that's like a law that we should be like, yeah, God commanded it, sorry. You know, I can't work, God commanded it, you know, but it's like, it's, we tend to back off of that one like it doesn't matter, like the other ones. Jesus, in the New Testament, his, he sends his apostles out. He says, go, first missionary journey by yourself, two by two. They go out, and they go out and they work really hard, and they, they preach the gospel, and they, they do all kinds of great things for Christ, and they come back, and they're all excited. And this is what it says. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. So they're coming back, and Jesus is listening. He's like, this is great, guys. This is amazing. So glad you made it back. We're going to continue to do this stuff. You're going to do this for the rest of your life, so I hope you really enjoyed it, that kind of thing. And then he says this. He said to them, come away by yourself to a remote place and rest for a while. They go and do God's work. They're out preaching the gospel, and Jesus says, come back rest. Come back and rest. See, Jesus understood this, that anyone that can't rest, that the only people that can't rest are slaves. Tim Keller said it better than I could say it. He said this, Anyone who cannot obey God's command to observe the Sabbath is a slave, even a self-imposed one. Sabbath is therefore a declaration of our freedom. It means you are not a slave, not to your culture's expectations, your family's hopes, your medical school's demands, not even your own insecurities. We're not slaves. Then when Christ says, take a Sabbath, we think, oh, these, all these rules that God places on top of us. Christ is saying, be free to live a life of rest and relax for a day. Take some time off. Recharge. You're not a slave. You're not a slave. Um, some practical points to bring out here. First off, if you're gonna take a Sabbath, you're gonna trust in God, that God's not asleep, and you, you know, not just in the way you sleep at night, but the way you live uh, your life, the day that you take off all those things. If you're gonna trust in God, there's some things that you probably need to do, and this is what trust looks like practically, um, is don't ruin your Sabbath, don't ruin your day, your rest day on a text or an email. <laughs> Have you ever done that before? Where like it's your day off and you're not, you're not going to do it, you know, you put your phone away or you, you put text, you know, you, you're not going to check your email and then you go and there's this email and all of a sudden you feel the pressure of what work is putting on you. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Stay away from it. Trusting God means saying that 99% of the time that stuff's going to take care of itself that God has it in control, you can let it rest. God isn't asleep, he actually isn't, uh, he, he is still working. Also, you have control over your free time calendar. The time that you have outside of work, I know that your schedule is probably pretty set. You know, you come in, work certain times, and maybe some of you get to choose your schedule some uh, of the time, but for the most time, your work schedule is set, but outside of work, you get to choose that. You have control over your calendar, and there is a word that is so hard to say, but it's so helpful and so powerful, is the word 
no. I'm sorry. I can't. I would love to. I really would. But I can't. It's not going to work. It's going to be too much. I'm not going to be able to get the rest that I need. You don't have to tell them that. This is the, you think this. You know. I, I, I'm not going to be able to get the rest that I need to get to be able to, to do what I need to do during the week, to work hard, to, to uh, work for God like I need to work. You have control over what you put on your calendar. There's no reason to be busy and running back and forth and putting all this stuff on your calendar and packing it on top of yourself as much as you possibly can to you can't breathe. And even in your relaxation time, you're just going, 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 and can't stop. You have control over that. So take control of it. And the reason for that is you have to choose the great things. In life, there are a lot of good things. There's so many good things to do. Life is too short to focus on all the good things. Figure out your schedule and not, don't just do whatever comes your way that's good, but do the great things. Do the best things. Think, how is this going to best glorify God? How am, is God, can God use this to his glory? How can this help my family? How can this help me rest? And how can I use this best? Choose not just the good things, but choose the best things. All right. So what is gospel rest? We talk about gospel rest. What is it? First off, it's not idleness. It's not laziness. It's not doing nothing. It's not slothfulness, you know, one of the seven deadly sins. This is what that 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12 says. In fact, when, you, uh, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy... Busy bodies. Good play on words, Paul. Now, we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. That resting doesn't mean we rest all the time. I don't think you guys have a problem with this, but maybe somebody here needs to hear it. That we, we do, we live and we work. We don't live lazily. Now, this is the one where it might kind of hit home because it hits home with me. And I, I come to you saying this as a recovering procrastinator okay like in recovering by me that I mean like every Sunday I have this thing hanging or every week I have this thing hanging over me it's Sunday I have to come up here and talk for 30 to 40 minutes about something right and so sometimes you just like put it off put it off put off it's Friday I'm like oh my word there's something coming and I got to get it done right so I still have issues with this so I don't come with you having figured it out but I will tell you this what procrastination is is laziness with a deadline that's what it is, laziness with a deadline. That you're putting it off and putting it off and putting it off into the last moment when you can just do good enough. And instead of, you flip what God had in mind. Instead of doing six days of work and one day of rest, you do six days of rest and one 24-hour day of craziness, throwing stuff everywhere, going insane, and trying to get work done. I did it in college way too much. I know how it goes. Um, thank God by seminary, I kind of figured out that that is not the way to live life. And, and it's so coming to the point where you realize, okay, I want to give God my best in my six days and take my one day to rest. Take my one day to rest, not reversing what he had in mind. So what is gospel rest? It's finding our weekly Sabbath, our weekly Sabbath. It's finding that day that, for me, like I said, it's Monday. For you, it might be another day, but it's finding that day when you can have your weekly Sabbath. The Sabbath was set up as a weekly festival where they were rest. God commanded them, on this day, you take a nap. It was a siesta, fiesta. Ha, 
dad joke. And so, um, you know, have, have a day off, and you celebrate this day by not doing anything at all. That's awesome. Find your siesta fiesta and keep it your weekly Sabbath. Because I was, uh, I was looking at some stuff this week, and if you study um, a little bit about swim strokes, I'm not a swimmer, and maybe some of you guys in here are swimmers. You can correct me if I'm wrong about how this works. But as far as I can tell, in the swim stroke, there's, there's, uh, there's at least four parts of the swim stroke, and one section of the swim stroke is the, the rest, where you just glide through the water. And so as you're swimming, there's this moment where you glide I'm going to keep doing this so you can remember what I'm about to say. There's this moment where you just glide through the water. If you ever watch the swimming in the Olympics, the fastest swimmers in the entire world, they're sitting there and they're just going at it. And they use that glide and you can see them. It's like, wow, that's incredible. And then you look to the sidelines and you see the judges and they're kind of like moseying down the pool like this, right? Like swimming is hard, hard work. The fastest swimmers in the world can work at kind of a medium pace of walking, for on land. And so they're sitting there and they have to add this rest into their stroke because if they don't, they, were wear, they will wear out and won't finish the race. There's this essential rhythm in their stroke where there's a resting point. See, like the rhythm in a good swim stroke includes a resting point. The rhythm in a good week of work includes a resting point, just a moment where you pause and glide so you can get the next strength out to put power into the next stroke and go for it. God tells us, first off, any Beastie Boys fans in here? Listen to the Beastie Boys before? All right, we got a couple old people like me. Yeah, okay. Uh, as I was, Bill was looking through my message, he was like, ah, oh, you, you, you put a thing in there for us. Yeah, so. Fight. For your right to party, right. Fight for your right to party. If your party is taking a nap, that's what Jesus says. If it's taking a day off, taking a rest, you got to fight for that day because people are going to try to take it from you. (laughs) Everybody wants it, including sometimes, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to regret it. Sometimes the church comes in and takes that time of rest from you but you should sign up to work for Wake Up the Earth. (laughs) But sometimes on your day off, on your time that you have off, whatever it is, and it it can be friends, it can be family, it can be all these things, it comes in, it takes it from us, and you have to fight for that day to have that moment where you can glide and you can rest and be ready to go on the day. Yeah. uh, Third, find your daily Sabbath. This is the time when you just take moment in your day to rest and recharge. Um, for me, it's in the morning. I, I, every morning, almost, I get up and I read the scriptures and I, I pray and I, maybe I listen to some worship music or something like that. I listen to a, a podcast or a sermon or something while I'm in, in the shower and, you know, whatever. I want to have a moment where I can have a daily Sabbath to focus my mind on God. And that's me. Allie's, Allie's kind of the opposite. Um, she, stays at late, she stays up late at night doing her moment with God, and her daily Sabbath is in the evening. So I don't know what it is for you, but you find that rhythm where you have a weekly Sabbath and a daily Sabbath. Where you just spend a few minutes with God um, and, and focus your mind in on what he does, where we can both uh, recharge ourselves spiritually, emotionally, 
and physically. We see Jesus do this several times throughout the scriptures. A couple of passages are Mark 1.35 and Mark 6.46 where Jesus goes off alone to recharge himself. Finally, as we close this out um, today, is find your gospel hobby. Find your gospel hobby. Um, Jesus wasn't always just doing things. It kind of seems that way. But we see him in John 2. He's at, the, uh, he's at a wedding feast in Cana just hanging out. And when his mom comes up to him and says, it's time to get to work, he kind of gets peeved at her. And he's like, woman, what does this have to do with me? I don't want to do work. It's my rest time, baby. I'm le- it's my leisure time. And then Mary's like, <clears throat> and he's like, okay. So he goes and he gets it worked out. And they have the rest of the party at the at the wedding. And so Jesus took time uh, to, to be with people. We see several times where he goes and eats and, and he's with people and, and celebrating in their house and outside of just the regular work. He uses those things intentionally. That the things that he does outside of his ministry per se, quote unquote ministry, are still used as ministry in a sense. That each thing is intentional. Jesus was never for a moment outside the will of God. Keep coming back to this verse because I think it's so central because it includes everything. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. See, God wants to use your hobby for his glory, whatever it may be. I have, I have a couple of friends who use their hobbies well, I think, for the glory of God. One of those friends uh, is a guy named Jonathan and he builds RC planes and um, he goes to these conventions and he goes to days where they just fly planes all around everywhere. And he's used that for the glory of God. He's, he's had people come to Christ through it. He invites them to church, all this great stuff. And he's just stupid little RC planes that he's really good at building and he enjoys building. He goes out and he flies them. It's so cool. I've, I've crashed a few um, that he built. Um, but he does a really good job with it. And then another friend, um, and this is kind of a weird, weird thing. Some of you may be like, oh, I've never really thought about that before. I don't know. But another friend named Matthew, he... He has basically, uh, he sees his mission field is to gamers. And so he, on PlayStation Network, <laughs> he has friends and he has people that he talks to about Jesus on PlayStation. And he goes, he has this thing every night, uh, every week that he goes to called Fight Night where he is, where they go and they play Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons and all this stuff. And he uses it for the glory of God. I know that sounds weird. You're like, Dungeons and Dragons for the glory of God? It sounds so strange, but it's real, and he's done it. And, and people, uh, he's able to minister to people through it. He uses his hobby for the glory of God. But also, God wants you to have a gospel hobby because he wants you to enjoy his creation. The creation he gives us is not just a creation, a utilitarian creation, but a creation to enjoy. When you look at the stars, when you look at the sunset, you can have worship stirred in your heart by what you see and what uh, is going on around you. But he also wants you to rest your soul. Rest your soul. Some of, I know that when you go on your rest day, you aren't just napping all day. Like, we do things on our rest day. And you go hiking, you read, you, you go on a run, you uh, watch Netflix, you, I don't know what else, a million other things you could do. Um, and because you're not, you're not just sleeping. So you use that day to kind of, uh, to rest your soul, even if you don't rest your body so much. And one of those things for me is riding up Washington Street to the highest point in Boston on my bicycle, which is like this. It feels like this, at least. When you're biking up that thing in uh, first gear, first, 
1-1 gear and you're just hoofing it. But although it's physically exhausting, kind of emotionally and spiritually and, and, and uh, in my soul, it relieves me as I do it. So use, use your hobby to do that. But also, fourth, use it for time with family and community. If, you're, if you don't have kids, you don't have a wife or a husband, um, use it to be with community. Use it to be with people, get to know people, love people, care for people. If you have a family, use your off time with your spouse. Use your off time with your kids to get to know them better, love them better as uh, Christ has loved you and you can be a good neighbor to them when you do it. Hobbies, although are good and can be used for the glory of God, can become the Lord of our lives. So we have to make sure we balance that. So we say God is number one, Family's number two. Number three is like work and hobbies and those kinds of things and, and make sure that those things are in order. All right, so here's some questions that we can ask. Am I resting in God? Am I resting in God? Am I able to trust him? Am I able to go to bed at night and say, God, I trust you that tomorrow I can work and you have it taken care of in these six, seven hours that I'm asleep? Does my hobby have God's kingdom in focus? My time off that I have when I do rest, does it have God's kingdom in focus? Is it focused on the glory of God even in the fun stuff I do? Third, what adjustments do I need to change to make it so that I can rest as God commands? Not suggests, not hopes, but commands me to do. What adjustments do I need to make in my life? And none of this really matters a bit if we don't have eternal rest. This is what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. St. Augustine said this. You have formed us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find you. If you want rest at night, if you want peace during your day, the greatest thing is for you to have peace going into eternity. All of us, at one point or another, are at war with God. The Bible actually calls us enemies of God. And it's a battle that me and you are not able to win. It's a battle where we stand on either side of the battlefield and God, God's wrath is pointed straight at us and will destroy us. But in the midst of that battlefield, in the midst of God's love, Christ came down and stood. And when God poured his wrath out, Christ stood in the middle of it. And that wrath was poured upon Christ and Christ took a bullet to say it lightly, for you and on your behalf, the one that you and I deserved. And in the midst of that, he didn't just take our punishment. He gave us peace. The war that was between us and God was made peaceful in Christ. And because of that peace, we can have rest. Not just rest for today, but rest forever. And if you want that rest today, if you want that eternal rest, the Bible says that you change the direction you're going 
and you follow Jesus and you depend on Jesus' work on the cross to be your salvation, to be the thing that makes peace between you and God and to celebrate his resurrection. Let's pray. Father, today, thank you so much for the rest and the peace that you give us, God, but help us when we fail to rest in your rest. Help us when we fail to trust you. God, give us enough strength. Give us the supernatural ability to trust you when life is tough. God, when the waves come up, when, when the storm is rough, may we be able to close our eyes and sleep knowing you have it in control, ultimately. For those in here that haven't got it settled and don't have eternal rest, God, eternal peace in their heart, God, may they, sell, may they solve that today. God, we love you. Do a great work. In Jesus' name, amen.